when I was going through those crises of faith and those dilemmas, not sure, where are you, God? The answer is really simple. Right here, right now. Through his son who gave everything, he's here. The answer is really simple. He's not this distant God who's waiting for me to figure it out. He's not impressed by me putting on the show and acting the part. He's not expecting me to change my brokenness and hide in the dark until finally everything's perfect. Now this Jesus would step down from his throne and take on flesh. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it sucks having a body. Because like when I eat donuts, those calories seem to stick, right? And sometimes when I trip and I fall, I, I get hurt and I bleed. And sometimes people say things and it doesn't wound me physically, but my heart deeply hurts by the things they said. And this body that I have that is broken by sin, sometimes I wish I didn't have. And yet our God would come down from his place of perfection enter into our mess and into this creation and into all of our brokenness so I will become it all for you that in me you can have it all hi this is Chris from the point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions you may not be sure what you believe about God Jesus faith or the Bible and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Who is Jesus? Now, unfortunately, many of us have probably grown up in or around the Bible Belt long enough to have a lot of really wrong answers to that question. Right? We, we've heard of Jesus enough to know what he's supposed to be, but for some reason he doesn't seem to be that. We know what he's supposed to be for us, and yet for some reason, he seems to be everything but that. There's a couple of big moments in my life where Jesus became something totally different for me. The first was when I was going into eighth grade that summer, uh, in between seventh and eighth grade, I went to church camp. Anybody ever grow up going to church camp? Church camp is a weird place where you get away with doing really stupid things in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> Like the first time I ever snorted pixie sticks, church camp, all right? Don't do that. It's a terrible decision, and your snot's funny colors. But I grew up in a church where we actually met in a movie theater, uh, oddly enough, and uh, we went to this church camp, and I had become a Christian uh, mostly because I thought it was the cool thing to do. And I know that's not most people's experience, but for me, I, I grew up in a household that was really loving and had a speech impediment and was kind of short. And so my community around me, while my parents were loving, my community was not. 
And I was often bullied and harassed, and life was really hard. And, and the first time I went to this church that met in the movie theater, I was just overwhelmed with the amount of love I experienced. I was like, wow. So even though my parents hated the church, I like forced them to take me back. And I'd been going for two years, and I thought to myself, if I just act the part, they're going to love me more, right? So I began to study and memorize all of the Bible and all the th- I didn't memorize all of it, right? But big chunks of it. I tried to do everything I could, have all the answers, go to every event. The more I can be involved and be the Christian I'm supposed to be, the more they will love me. And I went to church camp. If you've never been to church camp, especially a Baptist church camp, there's something that will inevitably happen at every Baptist church camp. An altar call. All right? That's the time of the service where you're supposed to give your life to Jesus. Who knows what that really means? Uh, but you're supposed to do it. And you're supposed to come up front and have this emotional experience where suddenly everything's different and all of those things I used to do that were bad, now I'm going to stop doing. Now, at this altar call... I wasn't paying any attention. Let's just be honest. I was like going into eighth grade. There was only one thing on my mind. The cute girl across the aisle, right? And the whole sermon, the whole time, I'm just like staring at her in awe like, wow. And uh, she got up during the altar call to go up front. And I had no idea what was happening, but I wanted to stand next to her. And I knew when it comes time for prayer, we hold hands. I wanted to hold her hand, right? So I just followed her like, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm here. And I went up front, and then I, I suddenly realized what was happening. And I came face to face with this moment. If I go forward and continue with what I'm doing, I have to admit to the people I've been trying to fool that I haven't actually believed this Jesus is real, just thought he was a means to an end. Am I ready to actually say, I think Jesus is who he says he is, or not. That was the first really big moment in my faith where I, I had to face who is Jesus and why does it matter? But then fast forward a few years, I was the obnoxious kid all the way through high school who loved Jesus to an unhealthy extent. And you, you guys know the picture, right? Had the t-shirts with the corny logos and all that stuff. Right? That was me. And then I went to Germany for a year after high school and I came back and I went to college and I faced this crisis of my faith because I was at a Christian college where most of my classmates weren't Christian. And most of my classmates actually had a lot of really practical things to say against Jesus that made me begin to say, well, why Jesus? Why not all these other things? Why not all these other faiths? And I came to this really difficult place because the more I tried to run from Jesus, the more I was drawn back to him. And meanwhile, I saw my friends who were deeply struggling. I want to believe, but I can't believe. Help me to believe. And I found myself torn. God, I don't want to believe, but I do. And they want to believe and they don't. This doesn't seem fair. And I found myself wrestling with this reality. God, if you are who you say you are, how come I can't leave you? And if you are who you say you are, how come they can't seem to find you? And I wanted nothing to do with this Jesus until I watched a movie that really helped. It's a super spiritual, totally godly movie called Dogma. For those of you laughing, you know there's nothing about it that should ever lead a person to faith, all right? If you're not familiar with the movie, it's 
completely a mockery of Christianity in some pretty funny ways, in some very offensive ways. God is a woman and Chris Warrock is the 13th disciple who was you know, left out of the Bible because he was black, those sorts of things, right? There's nothing in the movie that should point you to Jesus. But in some weird way, I watched that movie in this moment of crisis where I didn't want to believe, but I did. And I saw people who wanted to and they didn't. And I was like, huh, all right, Jesus, I guess I'll give you a try again. And I don't know why. Like, I'm not saying that's going to work for you. It was a really weird moment in my life. But I decided then I should really dive into who is this Jesus that I'm trying to run so hard from. Now to add another layer to it, I was working at a church in youth ministry. Anybody ever done youth ministry? I pray for you guys. Youth ministry sucks. Because you have to eat so much cold pizza and stay up way later than you ever planned and drink way more energy drinks just to survive than any heart should handle, right? And just when you think I can't do this anymore, you get this youth who comes to you totally broken and desperate and like, I don't know what to do. And you get to be there with them through this pain that nobody else is going to be there with them for. Like it's worth all of that unhealthiness and all of that crazy. And then you get right back to it and you're like, what am I doing, right? That's just this constant cycle of abuse of youth ministry. It happens. And I was serving in youth ministry going through this crisis of faith, not really sure, but trying to say, who is this Jesus? And I began pursuing every possible explanation, every possible, this is what we believe about Jesus, every answer out there. I need to know more about Jesus, now, if you, like me, grew up in a Baptist church, uh, here first, I don't hate Baptists, but in my experience, it wasn't very healthy. For me, my experience in this church said, if you don't do the right things, you will leave Jesus. Or even worse, if you don't do the right things and get your life together in the right way, he will leave you. And so I worked at this church Leading kids to this Jesus I was trying to discover, this Jesus I was trying to figure out. I was pursuing all these different teachings and educations. Who is this man? And then my life hit another point of crisis. See, before I met my wife, I wasn't the man I wanted to be, and I lived these dual lives, which included relationships with women that were not healthy, but were a lot of fun. Until they weren't. And I had a moment where I thought I was expecting a child with a woman I wasn't even dating. And my faith once again was rocked. Jesus, who are you in this place of my utter brokenness? Now what? Now how do you think it went when I went to the church and I confessed this problem of mine? No, don't do it. It's the right answer. That was at least what I expected from the church, right? Because all you see from the church sometimes is all the ways to say, you're not doing it right. Fix it and change it and get it right this time. And I went to my pastor who was also my boss. So I was not only like spiritually, where am I with God? But also practically, will I lose my job? And I went to my pastor and in tears, I confessed and I shared and something incredible happened. He started crying because he was really close to me. He said, Adam, we'll figure this out. We'll get through this. 
Now, because you're employed and you're teaching the youth, I got to talk to the other pastors. We got to come up with a plan, but we will be here with you through this. And thankfully, it turned out that this woman wasn't pregnant. Dang it, I'd already confessed, right? (laughs) Could have just been hidden. No, that's not the way God works. See, the things that are hidden will eventually be revealed, and the things that are in the dark will eventually come to light. And God invites us to bring those things to him and to his body, his church, to receive something we can't get anywhere else. Grace and forgiveness. And this church and this pastor and these friends walked with me through this journey of a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of now what. And through it all, I saw Jesus in the most pure and real way I could. This man who's also God, who's not against me, but for me. Over the next several weeks, as we go through this Behold the Man series, it is my prayer that you will see Jesus as both a man and God 100% for you. 100% saying, I'm not here to tell you all the things you've done wrong, but here to make them right. I'm not here to show you how you failed, but here to build you up. This is the man I hope you experience with me together. Because if you're not experiencing that Jesus, there's no point in being here. And our coffee's not that great, these seats aren't that comfortable. If you're not experiencing that man, why bother? So today as we look at scripture and we jump into who is this Jesus, I, I have a confession to make. I didn't really want to preach this sermon. Not because I don't agree with it, but because it was really hard to write. It's like, how do, how do you write about Jesus who is fully God and fully man in a way that people can understand, right? Like anybody in here actually understand how he's both man and God? Because even after years of seminary, I'm still like, I don't totally get it. And maybe you've heard this enough times that you have all the right answers. But as we look at scripture today and this reality that Jesus is God and he's man, I hope you experience his grace for you. We're going to be looking at at the book of Colossians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, feel free to open up to it. If you have a phone, feel free to use it to text in questions or to look at the Bible with us. If you don't want to do either and just want to hear God's word and listen, that's okay too. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He's describing Jesus, the one who has forgiven sins. And 14, it says this, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look, this is the one who will make us right, who will redeem all that is broken and make it new. This is the one who will take all of your mess and say, you are forgiven. This is what he says about him. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I'm just going to pause right there real quick. 
Jesus is this image of the invisible God. See, part of my struggle in my journey is, God, how come I can't see you? Right? Like, where are you practically? Are you in some mystical space, like far off in another universe? Are you just floating around in the clouds up above? Where are you, God? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God we cannot see, we see fully in Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now this can be really tricky. In fact, the Nicene Creed we read and we recited earlier, it addresses some things that came out of this that were misunderstandings. See, when you and I think about the firstborn of all creation, what typically comes to mind is if you're the firstborn, there must have been a time before when you weren't, right? Because for you and I to be born, there had to be a time before we were born when we didn't exist. What the author is saying here in Colossians is using this language to describe the firstborn implies before anything else he was. Before there ever was something he was. Think about this. We believe in Jesus who was born a baby and somehow in this great mysterious way he existed even before he was actually born. Before anything else was created. For by him all things were created. All of the Old Testament and New Testament attributes the power of creation, the ability to make out of nothing to God and God alone. And the author here is saying, look, Jesus, he's not only this image of the invisible God, but through him every single thing came to be. There's nothing that is apart from Jesus. He goes on in verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, or that in everything, he might be preeminent. Saying, look, Jesus is, and always has been, and always will be before anything, so that in him or in all things, he might be preeminent. So that he might be the one that we look to in everything, so that in all times of good or bad, trials or tribulations, everything we may face, he is the one who knows and is there. Because he always has been. It goes on in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, this author of Colossians, he's saying, Jesus was not only before all things, no, in him the fullness of God dwelled. Now, sometimes when we think about who this Jesus is, I know for sure when I was on this journey trying to discover who is the real Jesus, what is he really all about on this journey, I sometimes thought about Jesus as a really good teacher, right? Like he did some great stuff. If only I could love like him, that'd be awesome. If only I could be kind and humble and meek like him, that would be great. If only I could serve others like him, that'd be pretty great too, and sometimes today in our culture, we see Jesus as like the perfect fulfillment of even our political platform, right? 
Jesus was the, the first socialist, because look at the things he did. Jesus was the true Republican. Look at the way he loved life. Jesus was this or that. And we make Jesus into all of these things in our image. We make Jesus like us. But this verse here says he's not like us. No, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In this man, in this person, all of who God is dwelled. Think about that. If we believe that God is creator and God has power over all things, what are we declaring about this man? He has power over all things. If we believe that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, what do we believe about this man? He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If we believe that every blessing comes through God, what do we believe about this man? It all comes through him. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Part of that Nicene Creed we talked about was people not understanding how does this work. And there's a couple of ways they said, we don't know how it works, but we know it's not like that. The, the first idea was this. Imagine you have God and you have Jesus, or you have man, right? And they're like two pieces of, of wood. And you want to put them together, you just nail them together, and now you have two pieces of wood, and they make up one new thing, right? But the problem is, Here's God and here's man. And they're not actually the same thing. They're just attached somehow. And then the Nicene Creed, as they were formulating that, they're like, that's not how it works. Jesus isn't 50% God and 50% man. He's not partially God. No, the fullness of God dwelled in him. Well, he's not partially man. See, another way people thought about it was that Jesus was just born a person like you and I. He was a totally normal dude until suddenly God's like, wow, that guy's pretty great, right? Like he's got it all together. I'm just going to put myself inside of him. And now he's also God. And, and his body was just like a shell that harnessed God, right? Well, that's not the case either because he was also fully man. In fact, if you put that verse back up there, what does it say at the end? Not only was the fullness of God pleased to dwell in him, but making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Jesus was equally flesh like you and I. You could touch him and feel him. And the really cool thing about Jesus is that there are historians who are non-Christians who write about Jesus and his existence and his real present, uh, like life-changing reality that people would go to him and miraculous things would happen. Historians who didn't believe he was God were like, yeah, there's this dude named Jesus and crazy stuff happened, so the Jews killed him. That's just what happened, right? He actually existed in history. He's not some figment of our imagination, some creation of the church over 2,000 years. He's not some good idea to teach us how to live better lives. He does not care if you're a good person. He didn't come to make good people or bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. 
Scripture says that you and I were dead in our trespasses, in our sin, in the brokenness that we do against others, in the brokenness we do against ourselves, when we tell ourselves lies that aren't true, when we believe we're not worth God's love, when we do things to others that cause them pain. Scripture says it kills us and we are dead. Jesus didn't come to make us good people. He came to give us new life. That we can have peace through his blood. And blood is not shed by a mystical figure, an imaginary creature, some distant being. It's only because he's actually 100% man and 100% God. That he could shed blood like you and I, but unlike you and I, through that, reconcile everyone. Make right everyone who's been wronged. It goes on and says this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you in his body by his death. See, Jesus isn't waiting for you to stop doing those evil deeds. He's not waiting for you to figure it out and fix it. God didn't say, once you get it right or get it close enough, then I will come and I will help you. No, while we were in our sins... Christ came to die for the ungodly. While we were a broken mess, alienated, separated, disconnected from him, he came to make it right. He came to restore us to the place we belong, the place with him, filled with God's love and grace and mercy and power for all of life. He came in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. Above reproach is a fancy way of saying he he came to present us in such a way that there's nobody who can stand against us with an accusation. There's nobody who can say this is who they really are or what they've really done. I know who they used to be. No, instead, because of Jesus, this man and this God, we can stand before God and all of creation, the only voice that matters is God's. This is my beloved son. This is my daughter. This is my child made right by the blood of the cross. And you and I get to behold this man. We get to see this God who's not partially God and partially man. He didn't earn his way to becoming God. No, he's always been God but he would step into flesh for you and I. In the book of Hebrews, it describes this Jesus, this man, this God, as a great high priest, one who would pray on our behalf to make us right. It describes this Jesus as one who understands unlike any other, for though he was without sin, he entered into sin. He experienced every temptation and trial and struggle you will face. 
so that he can make it all right. When I was going through those crises of faith and those dilemmas, not sure, where are you, God? The answer is really simple. Right here, right now. Through his son who gave everything, he's here. The answer is really simple. He's not this distant God who's waiting for me to figure it out. He's not impressed by me putting on the show and acting the part. He's not expecting me to change my brokenness and hide in the dark until finally everything's perfect. Now this Jesus would step down from his throne and take on flesh. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it sucks having a body. Because like when I eat donuts, those calories seem to stick, Right? And sometimes when I trip and I fall, I I get hurt and I bleed. And sometimes people say things and it doesn't wound me physically, but my heart deeply hurts by the things they said. And this body that I have that is broken by sin, sometimes I wish I didn't have. And yet our God would come down from his place of perfection to enter into our mess and into this creation and into all of our brokenness. Say, I will become it all for you. That in me, you can have it all. In me, I can make it all right. And so we are gathered here 2,000 years later, not because what I have to say matters. Not because it's a fun thing to do on a Sunday morning. There's a lot better things you could be doing. We are gathered here on Sunday morning 2,000 years later because by this cross where his blood was shed we have the hope for a God who's not far off but has come in and said behold the man my son who will reconcile you and make you right if you're here today and your life isn't perfect or you're wrestling where are you God who are you God make yourself real to me today I want to promise you this he is real And he will continue today and tomorrow and the next to make himself known to you. Usually through the people sitting around you right now. Say, I am here for you. I'm not waiting for you to fix it. I just want to love you. I'm not going to do an altar call because some of you are probably just looking at the cute girls. And I'm not going to invite you forward to pray, but I just, I want to close with prayer and I want to invite you, if you want to behold this man for real and you want to experience who he is for real, I want to challenge you to do something that may be really odd or uncomfortable or new. I want to challenge you to join us for the next five weeks, every single Sunday, in person, as we continue to look at who this man is very practically. And what he has done. I want to challenge you just for this this short time period. Will you join us and behold him with me? And maybe together we'll experience this real God for our real mess. Who really, really loves us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would send your son for us. We thank you that we can behold the man who's also God. The one who knows our every suffering, our every challenge, our every temptation, our every trial. The one who knows all of our failure and all of our doubt and all of our hurt and all of our confusion. 
who still in all of that says, you are worth it all. That while we were alienated and disconnected, you would come and give yourself in the flesh. You would suffer and die that we could be brought near. Help us to behold you. This man and God who loves us deeply. And help us to see in you all of our hope and all of our comfort and all of our peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we had a really fun opportunity. Uh, Last week we had the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking here. And they joined us uh, and they shared a little bit about what they do and who they are. And I put forth a challenge to you guys last week. Do you guys remember that challenge? Anyone who was here? I said, we're going to give 10% of whatever comes in away, and we're going to aim for a goal we've never, ever accomplished before. We're going to aim for $10,000 given in one week, and we're going to give $2,500 straight to this organization. Well, I want to say that didn't happen, but that's okay. Because in your generosity, in your kindness, in your love, we were able to still give them a check for $500 to keep doing the things they're doing. And I'm really excited for that. I shared with Natalie, she had no idea that we were going to give them something. And I shared with her on Friday, I said, hey, I'm going to come by on Monday. I'm going to drop off this check. And she was just like, floored, wow, thank you. I really appreciate your partnership. Uh, Family, I, I know that partnering with them is making a difference in the lives of these women. And I'm very thankful for you and your willingness to say, we're all in. Let's do this together. We're going to now continue our worship with another song and singing. And while we do that, we're going to collect our offering. And if you came prepared to give today, you can give in the popcorn buckets, cash or check. You can place your connection cards in there. Or you can give online at thepointknox.com. And remember, however you choose to give, whatever you choose to give, we give not to get his love, but because we already have it. Thank you. So every week we invite questions. We believe they're a healthy part of faith. Uh, so a couple of them came in today. There's one that came in, or a couple that came in last week that because we ran so long I didn't have time to address. Uh, I answered them or addressed them yesterday on Facebook via Facebook Live. So go to the Point Knox um, on Facebook and you'll be able to see those responses. But uh, this is what came in today. Do we celebrate Lent? If so, what does it mean? Is it in the Bible? Uh, yes, we celebrate it. What does it mean? Well, Lent is a season of preparation for Christ's death and resurrection. A season of 40 days plus Sundays, so like 46 days technically. But for some reason the church didn't count Sundays. That's not a real day, I guess. Because, you know, football season's over, so why does it matter? Um, And so it's a season of 40 days of preparing our hearts and our minds for Christ's death by focusing on Jesus and his life and who he was and who he is and who he always will be. Um, Is it in the Bible? No. All right? It's not a biblical thing, though throughout the Bible we see them take 40 days of, of preparation or focusing on God on a regular basis. 40 seems to be a significant number throughout Scripture. Uh, certainly, Easter and his death and resurrection are absolutely in the Bible. And so we see it as a great opportunity to celebrate. Is it commanded by God and something we're obligated to do? By no means. Um, next, I've had the same issue that you had. Uh, I don't want to believe because of the things he lets happen to me and others, but every time bad things happen, he's always there for me, but I still don't believe he loves me. Like When really hard things happen, it can be difficult to see Jesus. 
And when we think about Jesus as the judge of the universe who will one day come to judge, we often think of him coming to judge for the things we've done wrong. But sometimes when we've experienced great pain and great hurt, we need to see the real Jesus, that he's coming not just to judge what we've done wrong, but to judge what's been done wrong against us. And he's coming to be the one who makes it all right and says this wrong that was done to you is not okay. I will restore it. And this hurt that you're going through, I don't want to leave you there. And so if you're in this place right now where uh, it's hard to see that he loves you, will you invite us to love you? Like, Can we be Jesus for you by loving you in the season and listening to your pain and when necessary crying with you and encouraging you, you are loved? And can we just point you to him over and over and over again until... He begins to show you his love. Uh, Next, somebody put this author. Uh, What's up with that? Didn't Paul write Colossians? Yes, Paul is the one who wrote Colossians. So when I said this author, I was referring to Paul. Thank you. By the way, if you're new here, people call me out all the time. Uh, That's totally fair game um, in every way. If Christ is God, who was Christ praying to in Mark 14, 36, where he says, Abba, Father... Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Who is Christ calling out to? Himself? Thank you. Uh, You're also free to ask really tough questions all the time. Um, Ultimately, we believe in this three-in-one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are all one God and somehow different. How? I don't know. Uh, It's a big mystery that I'll try to unpack in the weeks to come, but I don't really know. Um, But... Jesus, it says in Philippians, he made himself subject to God the Father. And we don't really like the word submission in our culture. We think of submission as somebody who's inferior coming underneath somebody who's superior, who's greater than. But that's not what submission means in the Bible. Submission in the Bible is one person demonstrating love for another by coming underneath and honoring Not equal or less or greater or more. No, one person showing love by honoring another. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father. And how is it that God submits to himself? I I don't know, right? Like, can God make a rock so big even he can't move? Is that question really even worth asking? Because there's no real answer to it, right? I don't know. Um, But somehow we see Jesus always doing not his will, but his Father's will as an act of love and a submission to him. And so, uh, who's he crying out to? He's crying out to the other person of the Trinity, one of the three, God the Father. And what that means, you'll have to ask him when he comes back, okay? Uh, That's all I got. Now, with our offering, we believe in making a difference in our community, not just by giving to organizations that are doing a lot, but also by giving our time and serving other people. And so we have an opportunity for you coming up in two weeks to partner with Child Help. If you're not familiar with Child Help, uh, they're an agency here in town 
that does a lot of immediate direct services for kids who've experienced severe physical and sexual abuse. They help bring them out of the home and they provide safe places where these kids can be interviewed but only one time and through a therapeutic process as opposed to over and over and over again reliving this trauma. And they help these kids find foster families and and families that will care for them in the healing and the journey back to what's next. And and so we get to come alongside child help um, by serving them. They've got a bunch of stuff in their new building they just moved into that we need to move out of a basement into a dumpster. They've got a parking lot that has some brush that we need to clear and clean up along with some trash. So if you are interested in helping use your gifts and your time outside of these walls in the community on March 14th from 8:45 until 11 that Saturday morning we're going to be serving and if you're like I would love to serve but I just don't know how helpful I'll be uh, show up and we will make a difference and find something for you to do anyway all right uh, I will be sharing we'll be sharing online and via email the address for this place later I'm sure if you google it it's not private or secret Um, But we'll be sharing exactly where to go to join us on the 14th and serve. I just want you to put it on your calendars and plan to be there. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Also, next week might be a little different. And I don't know what the answer is. um, But we learned today that tomorrow they're replacing the projectors in the theater with laser projectors. Which is supposed to be like fancier and brighter and bolder. I don't really know. But I do know that staring directly into a laser is a bad idea. Uh, And... For the seven of us up here, that's the direction we're facing. Um, so we have to figure out with the theater what we need to do to be safe. Uh, you know, maybe we'll all wear sunglasses. Yeah. So if we're in sunglasses next week, it's not because we don't like to see you. We just want to keep seeing you. All right. Uh, so we'll figure that out and keep going forward. With that church, receive this blessing. May God the Father who created you. May God the Son who redeemed you. And God, the Holy Spirit, who's making you holy and sanctified today, may he strengthen you and fill you with peace. May he remind you of his love and be there with you today, tomorrow, and every day going forward. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.